Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Okay, I'll tell you what, there's a great deal to get to here. Really no need for an introduction, just a ton of different stories, a ton of different angles. There's a couple of stories from the past that I want to revisit here, specifically regarding Uvalde, Texas. I just got done watching a rather interesting and very revealing PBS Frontline documentary about the entire thing. It was a couple of months old, but wow, was it revealing as to how fake that entire school shooting was. I'm not sure that's what they intended when they made this particular documentary, but it was embarrassingly bad. And it really actually highlights how the shooting did not happen. But either way, I'll get to that a little bit later. I've got some interesting education stories as well, and then some jab-related stories too. Um, Some, of course, which are not hitting the headlines, but are remarkably nefarious nonetheless, and really horrific, to be honest. Um, Let me just jump right in here. Of course, last week was the Tucker Carlson-Vladimir Putin interview, and I watched it in its entirety as it aired. And I'll be honest, sort of right out of the gate, I think that the worst part about it was Tucker Carlson himself. That might be a different take from what other people have had, but that's sort of what I felt as I was watching it. There were a couple of moments when I sort of said out loud, shut up, Tucker, just let him talk. But either way, I really do believe, again, it was an excellent, excellent history lesson. That, that right there is the history that isn't discussed and isn't talked about. And individuals have a hard time digesting history and understanding that the mistakes and the, even the evil of the past leads up to where we are now. Again, if an individual started watching that and they were getting bored with Vladimir Putin's history lesson, I would tell that person that, again, they've fallen for the enemy's plans. And what the enemy has in store, of course, for all of us, in particular younger generations, and unfortunately it's even worked on my generation to a great extent, if not older generations, is to essentially receive a dopamine hit from watching a 10-second clip or a two-minute clip, and then believing that you have all of the information necessary in order to make an informed decision. This is a huge mistake. History is not a five-second or even a five-minute or even a five-hour clip that you can watch. It won't define the entire landscape the way that it needs to be defined. So essentially, any normie who has a low attention span would have a very hard time with the first hour or so, certainly the first 30 to 45 minutes of that interview, and that's their fault, and too bad for them. With that said, there were certain avenues, as you might expect, that Vladimir Putin didn't necessarily hit on, or even, I would say, tell correctly. But there's a reason for that. Again, I'm not saying that Vladimir Putin, again, is is the best person on the face of the planet. I don't know the guy. I've never met him. What I do know, and what I am certain is happening, is there is a coordinated effort to wake people up. There is a coordinated effort to not only wake people up, but there's an effort to rub the noses of the so-called know-it-alls in their own waste as they've again consistently taken a metaphorical dump right in the middle of their own living room. Again, no different than rubbing a puppy's nose in their own waist to try to get them to understand that 
you don't do this inside of your own house, that you go outside to do this. You yell the word no, and then you rub their face in it. Not literally. It's a metaphor here. But the point is, is that I'm certain that that's what that interview was all about. Because what it proved was, is it proved, in fact, that three-letter agencies, including the CIA, are directly involved with and manipulate the media and work with the media to manipulate and brainwash human beings all over the world. Regarding endless subjects, it does not matter what subject is on your TV, your television, or the news, or sports, or the weather, or whatever it may be. All of it is a distraction, and all of it is a lie. This, of course, was dripped out in that interview. And that's part of the plan here. I mean, that, that proved it. Again, you know, he brought up a, a great deal of history, as I mentioned earlier, and as I'm sure you're, you're aware of. And one of the interesting aspects of that is he also brought up a little bit of German history. And he said, okay, when Adolf Hitler came into power, he was interested in taking back parts of Poland that Poland had taken from Germany before Adolf Hitler was in power and had been elected. Again, no different than what's necessarily happening with Russia and Ukraine. It's not really their land. It was, it was taken from Russia over the course of time, and then created into this criminal entity that is essentially the backyard playground for not only NATO, but three-letter agencies and child traffickers and money lenders and the banking system and drug traffickers and human traffickers and a thousand other things. But, but again, it's a Kazarian Mafia playground. So destroying the enemy inside matters. But as we know, there's good people who live there as well. And criminals and non-criminals can coexist with the non-criminals not understanding that there are criminals around. The criminals know exactly who exists there, and again, they try to feed off of the good people if they have to, or they try to keep the, the good people there who are the unknowing citizens, they try to keep them unknowing. They try to keep them in the dark and make it sound like everything is fine and there's not a problem. No different in the United States. It's the exact same thing. You have to keep the people pacified. You have to keep the people asleep. You have to get the individual to understand in their own mind that if they, if they even question their surroundings, that that's going to be uncomfortable for them. So we don't want people to question their surroundings, and we don't want people to question anything because, again, if you start asking questions, then there's something wrong with you and you're not putting enough trust in the machine. And then we know what the machine does to the person who asks too many questions. They get rid of them. One way or another. They get fired from a job. They get killed. They get ostracized. They get made fun of. They get set up. They get blackmailed. Lied about. Whatever it may be. There's a thousand different angles. But that's everything that's happening over there because it's happening here. And again, to an unknowing person, if they sat through the interview and they watched it, what they have to walk away with is that they need to stop trusting their government. They need to stop trusting their media. They need to stop thinking that three-letter agencies have their best interests at heart. They clearly don't. The three-letter agencies control messages, 
to filter that information down to the local citizen to again try to get the local citizen to trust the three-letter agencies. Let me bring you another example, which I mentioned on Friday's episode. Again, I'm shifting away from the Putin interview. I mean, beyond that, again, I, I thought it was I thought it was very educational. It was more for the normies, and as I said earlier, it was clearly done to help wake people up and to essentially scold people into understanding that if you think waving a Ukraine flag in your front yard makes you knowledgeable about what's going on, well, you're a fool, and you don't know what's going on, and that's exactly what that interview proved. But again, we can't expect everybody to wake up at the exact same time. But regarding the three-letter agencies, you may recall that in the last episode I brought off, uh, I brought up rather uh, Butler County, Ohio's Sheriff Richard Jones. Now, this is where I live. This is my county. And you heard me criticize at length Richard Jones for a thousand things. And rightfully so, because again, Richard Jones is a brainwashed, Fox News-wearing, order-taking uh, normie for the most part. There's a thousand things he could do, and there's a thousand things he could go public with, but what's the one thing he went public with? The one thing that he went public with, which is now making the rounds all over the internet, is that Richard Jones basically took orders from these same three-letter agencies in an effort to not prevent something from happening, but react to something that is going to happen. So the three-letter agencies say. This is, not the, this is not the job of law enforcement. This is not his job. Again, somebody looking at this would say to themselves, Sean, he's, he's attempting to be preventative. He's being preventative. He's getting people to buy gas masks on Amazon. And don't worry, we're engaging in more hazmat training suit wearing with all of our firefighters and first responders because We've been told that it's not a matter of if, it's only a matter of when if some terror attack occurs. How about, instead of all of that nonsense, you go on the offense? But they're not going to do that, are they? They're not going to engage in anything preventative. They're always reactionary. They claim to want to prevent things, but they never do. The same feds in Washington, D.C., who gave all those sheriff's orders, apparently all elected Richard Jones to be the spokesperson for all the sheriffs in the United States. There's 88 counties, 88 in Ohio alone. That's 88 sheriffs. Why is it that Richard Jones is speaking for the entire United States regarding sheriffs and preparing for this, that, and the other? Again, if anybody watched his press conference, or multiple press conferences probably at this point, you would understand again that he doesn't speak for us. He doesn't speak for the people. Because again, he's not doing anything to prevent anything from happening. He's not, he's not asking about these international organizations that exist in our county that are flooding our county and numerous counties in Ohio with illegal aliens. He's not going to churches and saying, you can't harbor illegal aliens. This is a crime. He's not shutting down these Christian or Jewish organizations. He's not doing that. He's certainly not going after the biological weapon masquerading as medicine, which I've brought that up at length as well. He's playing defense, and then he's playing reactionary defense. There's, there's no, no one's going on the offense here. 
This is the problem. This is again why sheriff's departments are not our last line of defense as citizens. They aren't. We know more than he does. We're doing more than he's doing. All he's doing is taking Masonic orders and going along with it. He's the problem. He's no different than the CIA. He's no different than the FBI. He's just as bad as they are because he's not telling them and yelling at them to do something. Now, again, he said a couple of nice things. He said something like, I wish that the lawmakers in Ohio would allow us to arrest illegals. How about you just start arresting them anyway? If you're the so-called last line of defense, what's keeping you from arresting them anyway? What's keeping you from detaining them? What's, what, what's, what's keeping you from contacting ICE and having ICE come in and then take them away or at the very least take them somewhere else? I just have a lot of questions. And again, it just seems remarkably strange. Everybody who claims to be proactive isn't. They never are. That old phrase, you know, rears its ugly head again. We're proactive. We're proactive. No, you're not. You're, you're furthest from. You're furthest from. So I wanted to mention that too again because this is part of the problem. And that again is what was brought up in a roundabout way, certainly within and even in a direct way regarding the Putin interview. Who blew up Nord Stream, Tucker asked him. He goes, well, you did. And then Tucker made a funny joke and then he goes, well, it's clearly your CIA. And he goes, who has an interest in doing it? Who has an interest in controlling the storyline? Who has an interest in this, that, and the other? And it's the media, the CIA, and the, and the criminals that they all work with, which is espionage, which Putin brought up also, which matters. The media outlets in our country are engaging in espionage. They always have. They still are. This is not new. Again, Putin had to even define this to Tucker, which, again, he, pl he either played dumb, but, you know, everybody. I don't know. Everybody wanting to shake Tucker Carlson's hand, I, I find it remarkably suspicious. This is a guy who's been on the inside of the media for a very long time, and we're all of a sudden supposed to assume that this guy has it all figured out. He doesn't. He clearly doesn't. You can't be that involved with all of those news stations and all of those organizations on a constant basis and live in D.C. for as long as he has, and expect to just know how everything works, and really know the sick underbelly. He has no clue. Again, he brought up that reporter who's been detained and arrested and is in jail in Russia from either whatever it is, the Wall Street Journal or the Washington Post. It's one of those Washington outlets. But either way, Putin openly stated, the guy was caught with classified information. How did he have classified information? He's not supposed to. By definition, that's espionage. That's a problem. And he's like, yeah, look, I don't have, you know, we don't have a problem giving him up. Let's talk about it. Because the guy's in jail now. No one's feeding him intel. No one's feeding him information. And at this point, because he's already been arrested, he's basically useless. He's not an asset to anybody anymore. People know his name. His name's out there. It slipped my mind. I didn't write it down. But the point is, is that he's a useless asset. The entire point of having an asset for a three-letter agency is that you have a cover. You work for some kind of an organization. 
people know that you work for an organization, but they don't know what you're really doing. Well, everybody knows what he was really doing now, which means, again, he's useless to any three-letter agency. If he walks free, he'll either get killed or he'll be unemployed. But he can't be taken seriously as a journalist anymore because he's not one. So, there you go. Again, if people don't understand that the media engages in espionage, and that the individuals who work for these organizations do that, and, I should say, that in the United States that's legal, that it's legal to lie to people, that it's legal to obtain information that you don't normally have access to nor should have access to, this is a huge problem. In fact, I take that back. I don't know if it's legal to, to, to possess classified information. Clearly, it was it was against the law for Joe Biden, and he did it anyway. But it's not just ex-vice presidents that, that have information that they shouldn't have any longer and don't have it stored properly in a thousand things. These journalists are always trying to gain information from anybody that they can who know more than they should know and then give it to individuals who would never know it otherwise and then try to pass that off as having you know, just really good intel, when in fact that information is highly classified and foreign governments know it too. So if they're caught in a foreign country, yeah, they should get arrested, 100%. And then, of course, Tucker's like, well, can you let him go? Can you please let him go? Why? I mean, again, as I said earlier, they could let him go because he's a useless asset, but even so, it, it, it just it doesn't matter. The point is, is that conversation should have proved to people how deep the rabbit hole goes. And that if you're watching a television and you're actually watching news media outlets, even to this day, you're a fool. Because you're consistently being lied to. The truth is never being told to you under any circumstance. Now, with that said, and I, you would hope that this would be more proof of it, was the reaction that the media had not only to, of course, the Tucker interview of Vladimir Putin, but what happened right after the fact with the prosecutor within the prosecutor's office at the DOJ, specifically, I believe, regarding Joe Biden and his, his handling of classified information, and that happening right after the Putin interview. And then, of course, the timing of the whole thing. Because it's the timing that's the most interesting part. All of that should prove to people that there are good people operating an operation here designed to wake people up. Because the timing was perfect. In fact, the timing was so obviously perfect and so obviously a setup, there's no way that black hats would be in control of that unless... The black hats themselves wanted Biden out of the way. But again, why would they want Biden out of the way and then embarrass everybody who represents Biden at the exact same time, like the Corinne Jean-Pierre's of the world? Because again, when Biden walked out to the lectern and he stood there making the comments about that prosecutor or investigative report, again, about how he doesn't have a memory and mishandled uh, classified information in a thousand things, all of the reporters turned on him, all of them at once. He's being hung out to dry, which is a great thing, but that entire act itself should prove to people that there's excellent things happening. 
and that this whole thing is coordinated one way or another. There is no doubt about it. Again, the timing is perfect. They would have done well, again, had it not been controlled either by good guys or even by bad guys who want him to go down. But they would have done well to just send him to bed. Let the Putin interview thing happen. Let the news of the Putin interview and use the Putin interview to be the overwhelming story. But instead, the overwhelming story the next day had less to do with Putin and the Putin interview, and it had more to do with Joe Biden's frame of mind. So now you have a left-wing news outlet questioning left-wing politicians about Joe Biden to only have left-wing politicians defend him. I mean, the chaos is a beautiful thing to watch. But my point is, is, is just this, and then I'll stop talking about it. It's coordinated. It has to be. This is warfare. And it's an information war, as we all know. And as this information war continues to roll out, the timing of everything is, is not an accident. It's a giant on purpose. In fact, I'll, jump, I'll, I'll piggyback on somebody's point. There's a Trump impersonator, and his name, I believe, is Sean Farah, if I'm getting him correctly. You've, you've heard his voice before, and he's, he's a conservative, and he has his own show, too. He's a funny guy, and he's a knowledgeable guy, too. But he openly stated... Don't let any politician, in particular the people on the right, so to speak, because again, they're all working for the same team, but don't let the Republicans or conservatives on the right start calling for the 25th Amendment. Don't do it. Let Joe Biden hang himself publicly for more and more people to see. String him out and let him continue to exist as long as, as humanly possible, certainly throughout the summer. Because as I've read on this show, and as I brought up on this show, it is Democrat National Co Committee policy that they can pull his card in August or September, after the primaries, before the election, and then replace him at will with anybody. He can say, my health is failing. He can say, I'm, I, I don't have the physical stamina. He can do a thousand things while avoiding the 25th Amendment talk. And they can just flat out replace him. They can just replace him with anybody that they see fit. Does not matter who it is. They can just say, here's our new candidate. Yeah, we know that everybody voted for Biden or you went to the polls and voted for him anyway during all the previous months. It doesn't matter. Here's our new candidate. It's not the one that you want. It's not the one that you voted for on a piece of paper or you pressed a, a button on a screen. This is the guy that we're picking or the woman that we're picking. and. This is, this is the way that it's going to be. And then what you're going to see is, and mark my words, this is going to happen. What you're going to see is, is you're going to see the entire media apparatus and all of the left-wing politicians surround themselves with whoever this person is going to be and support this person no matter what. Just like clockwork, like they're all being given orders to, to follow this particular individual again, whether it be a Gavin Newsom or someone else, whatever. Whatever prop person that they put up in place of Joe Biden, that will be the person that everybody will rally around on the so-called left. And they'll all do it like clockwork. The question will be, will anybody in the media question all of these moves that are being made? Will they continue to again say, well, this is unprecedented. This seems rather strange. Why is this all happening? I think time will tell on that. But I do think that at the, in the end, 
Part of the civil war here also is watching these leftists within their own leftist news outlets go after each other. Some of them asking more questions while as others are just following orders. And I'm not rooting for one side or the other. They're all criminals and I hate them all. But the point is, is that, say for example, you're watching CNN and Jake Tapper, who's a complete tool, but you watch him and he's maybe asking a few more questions than say if you switch over to MSNBC and you have Mika Brzezinski and Joe Scarborough and they're not, they're not asking any questions. They're just going, yes, this is a great decision. It's, it's best for the country. It's best for the Democrat Party and blah, blah, blah. I mean, that's the Civil War, too, because the leftists and any of the brainwashed goons who still watch TV and still watch the news are going to see that division and, and ask themselves, why aren't you all getting on the same side? Why aren't you all supporting one another? Why is it that even you are divided? That could be a wake-up point for a lot of people, too. Who knows? I think time will tell, but I do think, again, this is, this is what, what we're headed for. This is the direction that we're heading in. Let me mention this now. Again, this kind of gets back a little bit to a Richard Jones kind of thing, and of course, your local sheriff, wherever you live, too. And of course, the voting that takes place. Um, this came from powerlineblog.com, and I want to read this rather quickly, but it's titled, Illegals Are Already Voting. So here's what it says in this particular article, and again, this was posted on February 8th. About halfway down into the article, it says the following here. It says, for years, Pew Research pegged the number of illegals in the United States at, at 11 million. It says, but according to a 2021 study by scholars at MIT and Yale, the true figure is more than 22 million. In 2019, when he announced a lawsuit against the Trump administration, California Attorney General Javier Becerra displayed a sign claiming 10 million immigrants, quote-unquote, in California. The illegals come under the sway of politiqueros, as National Board, I'm sorry, as National Public Radio explained, campaign workers who bribe and coerce people to, quote, vote a certain way, unquote. The politiqueros work the mail ballots, and it all amounts to vote stealing. California's chief politiquero is Governor Gavin Newsom, who recently announced that illegals, regardless of age, will qualify for Medi-Cal, California's version of the federal Medicaid program. Add taxpayer-funded health care to a host of government benefits illegals already receive, including in-state tuition and financial aid at state colleges and universities. That is more incentive to get people to vote a certain way, quote-unquote. Absent an independent probe of voter fraud in all its forms, legitimate American citizens can hold reasonable doubt on many election results, including the Newsom recall. That surely caught the attention of Joe Biden, and the Delaware Democrat is already on board with the imported electorate. Quote, you know 11 million people live in the shadows. I believe they're already American citizens, said Vice President Biden in 2020. 2014. All the 11 million wanted a chance to contribute, Biden said, so let people vote. This year, millions of illegals will be voting as they already did in California and already do in California, unquote. You also had, I might add, 
Barack Obama recently coming out and basically saying, look, if a person shows up to a polling station and they want to vote, well, you should let them vote. If they can show you who, you know, what their name is and the fact that they're here in the United States, well, then they should just have the right to vote. Again, if something doesn't happen to change the entire picture, so to speak, of what we see on a voting day, then nothing's going to change. We know that they're going to manipulate the machines again, or at least attempt to. We know that if individuals vote by paper ballot, then those will either be destroyed or the counters and the machines will also break down too. And they'll say, well, sorry, the machines just aren't counting them. Excuse me. So, you know, they'll basically pull a Kerry Lake of 2022 all over again. And they'll say, well, you know, just uh, put them in this bin and we'll count them later kind of thing. And of course, that'll create its own level of chaos. Now, what do you have, of course, in Colorado? In Colorado right now, what you have is, is you have individuals, again, trying to defend their case at the Supreme Court to keep Donald Trump off of the ballot. Well, they, of course, can't do that. No law has been broken. Even if a law has been broken, he's still allowed to run for president unless it's some kind of a felony. But he hasn't been convicted of any felony. He's not in prison for any felony of any kind. But even, even so, okay, put all of that to the side for a minute. The entire landscape, I think, of the 2022 Kerry Lake case in Arizona, I think, is an interesting strategy. The poll workers just get to say, sorry, the machine doesn't work. Oopsie. And then just like that, it'll go to court, the lawfare will all take place, and the person who isn't really elected will take the position anyway because the media says so, because the people counting the votes say so. Now imagine this. Again, Election Day chaos. Even the days leading up to Election Day chaos, which I guarantee will happen, in particular in Colorado, if not the other states that have tried to keep Donald Trump off of the ballot. Individuals will go in to vote. They'll go in to vote for Donald Trump, and his name will not show up on the screen. Again, you have to keep something in mind that chaos is the name of the game here. Chaos and confusion. Now imagine that. You have endless individuals in a singular state going to vote for a very particular person, and that person's name is not on the ballot. Chaos. You have utter chaos. And then, of course, the excuse train will back up and they'll say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. His name should be on the ballot. This is clearly an error. We're going to have to do something about this. And, uh, you know, well, here, here are some paper ballots. Go ahead and fill these out and then we'll count them later. And they'll do that scenario all over again. Again, there are, there are so many angles in this that the enemy has figured out or planned and is already scheming to engage in as much as they possibly can. Illegal aliens voting aside, I mean, yeah, that, that's one of the, you know, th that's certainly a large scheme. And they would do that in the states in particular where they know that Trump has a chance because they don't have control over the voting system or even his name being on the ballot. But for the states that are consistently fighting to keep his name off of the ballot, just because a court rules that Donald Trump's name has to be on the ballot doesn't mean that when it comes time to actually vote for him, it will be. Yeah, his, his name might be on the primary, 
when it comes to be primary time. And people will be satisfied. Well, I, I voted for him during the primary and it was there on the primary vote. So it'll definitely have to be there on election day. It's election day chaos that they want. That's what they want. And it'll happen. It'll have to. But the only time, I think, again, getting back to my original point, the only time that we're not going to see any kind of chaos is if we see the entire day of election day change. And look, the, frankly, look the way that it's supposed to look so that we all know it's being taken seriously, whether this be run by the military to some extent, to where there's no citizen influence whatsoever, so that when you walk up to the table to hand your ID and tell them, tell them your name and your address, you're handing your name to someone who is in fatigues. Hopefully they're not a tranny, but you get what I'm saying. The, the, the entire picture, metaphorically, of Election Day has to look different. It can't look the way that it's looked in past years, where you've got these hard left-wing, triple, quadruple-jabbed queers running around the parking lot screaming at us as to how to vote, asking us if we, if we need help with voting, to only walk in, have everybody stare at you like you're an alien and like you don't even belong there. And then, of course, you go and you vote, and then you get your stupid little sticker, and then you leave like you've actually done something. The, the entire thing has to look different. The entire presentation has to look different. That's how you tell the nation and show the nation that it's more secure and that the right thing is happening. Again, the, the simple fact that these games are taking place on, on and around Election Day should tell people that we have endless traitors in our country trying to subvert our election. The simple fact that they're participating in these levels of activity around election day should show people that. That should be more than enough. The sad part is that even the people voting against Donald Trump and encouraging this kind of Bolshevik behavior, they have no idea, as you've heard me say, how Bolshevism really ends. I mean, they are the useful idiots, not in the way, again, that Hillary Clinton would lead people to believe, but in the actual way that people would follow a Hillary Clinton, because, again, the likes of her want everybody dead. The end of Bolshevism is always the same. You're on the wrong end of the gun with your head up against a concrete wall, or you're looking down into the ditch that will end up being your final resting place. Again, point being, until the entire picture, visually, looks different on Election Day and then becomes consistent in our country in every state, until that time happens, then we have traitors among us on a constant basis. Again, my problem with the likes of a Richard Jones, the sheriff of my county, is the exact same regarding this subject also. What is Richard Jones doing to communicate with the Board of Elections and the County Commissioner and their office and all of their offices and all of the voting? What is he doing to communicate with all of them to not let illegals vote? Is he communicating anything to them? I don't know. Maybe he is. Something more than a memo, though. 
It has to be your meeting with these individuals and telling them if you let illegals vote, you're engaging in a felony, and you will be caught and you will go to jail. But again, I, I can't stress it enough. Until we visibly see the whole thing look different as an actual voter ourselves on voting day, then nothing is changing. It's just kicking the can down the road. And I, I feel like there has to be a big shakeup. I feel like all of this is sort of coalescing around the actual events of actual election day. And I just think that what happened in 2022 with Carrie Lake was sort of like oh, I don't know, a pregame warm-up for something that they've got planned that's going to be way bigger and way more chaotic. Again, 2016, there was really no chaos. The biggest chaos with 2016 and that presidential election were all of the brainwashed normies being told by the media that Hillary Clinton had already won before, you know, days before she already won. She has a 99% chance of winning. And then she lost because the good guys got a hold of the machines and there was overwhelming voting for Donald Trump. So the Democrats couldn't cheat, even though they, they had planned to. That's why they were all surprised. That's why they were all crying. That's why they couldn't believe what was happening, because their entire apparatus had been overtaken by white hats. And that's what happened in 2016. Now, there was voter fraud in 2017, 18, 19, 20. Yes, of course. The media just took it then. That was, that, was the, that was the strategy of 2020 was the media just took it. They just said, Donald Trump won. Look, Arizona was called first. Uh-oh, here it goes. And then that was it. They just flat out stole it. And then 2021, there was voter fraud. 2022 with the Kerry Lake case. 2023, there was voter fraud. And then here we come with 2024. It's going to be real interesting. Lots of angles here. So I just, want to, I just wanted to try to tie all of that together to, again, try to keep this at the forefront of people's minds, because this is an ever-growing, ever-changing battleground. And I really do think it is one of the major battlegrounds that exists. Election day shenanigans. It's really going to get interesting. Not to mention, of course, who is responsible for funding all of these illegal aliens coming into our country. There's just this quick little headline from Natural News. Jewish supremacist organization receives $105 million of United States taxpayer dollars to import large amounts of non-white immigrants. Hmm. I think we know who's responsible, don't we? Again, anybody who's associated with these Jewish organizations and its Christian organizations too, these are the individuals who have to be investigated and then gone after. They're the ones that have to be shut down. These individuals are engaging in treason openly and trying to subvert an upcoming national election. This is a problem. Until these organizations are shut down permanently and we see that happen, then nothing is changing. Just kicking the can further. Okay. Moving on here, crumbly news. One quick little update, in fact, two quick little stories. Uh, first of all, as I brought up on Friday's show, there's been one major development since finding out who the forewoman of that jury was and how she's an online whore. 
As it turns out, she is married to a lawyer. And I believe he's either a patent lawyer or a property lawyer or or a you know a trademark lawyer, something along those lines. Either way, you can't be on a on a jury if you are related to or sleeping with or married to a lawyer. That's usually a no-no. But as we know, the jury was rigged to some extent. Individuals weren't looking into the pasts of these people, or they were looking into their pasts, and they were allowing their, uh, their odd and unqualifying ties to not get in the way of them being on the jury in the first place. So that seems to be the latest from the Crumbly case, but there's also this story, and this is remarkably disgusting. The prosecutor, the lead prosecutor, Karen McDonald, is about as dirty and disgusting of a human being as you could possibly imagine. This was an old story. This is from KREM Channel 2 CBS from 2017. And this story will get you right into the mind frame of Karen McDonald here. She used to be a judge, of course, before she entered the prosecutor's office. But this is titled, quote, This bitch has got to die. Critics threaten Michigan judge who ordered vaccination. It says Oakland County Circuit Judge Karen McDonald is facing online harassment, including calls for her to die a painful death for her handling of two controversial cases involving divorced parents who disagree about vaccines. It says the following here, McDonald has drawn the online ur of vaccine critics upset with her decision to order a nine-year-old boy immunized over the objections of his mother. In a separate case, McDonald had questioned the qualifications of a witness brought in to argue vaccines are harmful. Later on in the article, it says two vaccine cases. It says earlier this month, again, keep in mind this is from 2017, it says McDonald sent a Ferndale mother, Rebecca Bredow, to jail for ignoring a court order to vaccinate her nine-year-old son. Court pleadings show that Bredow agreed months ago to the vaccinations, but her current attorney, Clarence Das, told the Free Press that those pleadings were filed in error by a lawyer who no longer represents her. Bredow emerged from a five-day jail stint to learn that her son had been vaccinated while in custody of his father. She's asking McDonald to halt any additional vaccines. In the second case, another divorced mother, Lori Matheson of uh, Wallad Lake, doesn't want her two-year-old daughter immunized. But Matheson's ex-husband, Michael Schmidt of Troy, does. Matheson testified for more than an hour about her religious and personal objections to vaccines and later called Dr. Tony Lynn Bark of Evanston, Illinois, doctor as a witness to argue against vaccinations. Bark testified that she practiced in pediatrics, emergency medicine, and adverse synomics. Uh, the study of adverse reactions of vaccines. McDonald seemed skeptical and refused to consider Bark a vaccine expert, though she allowed her to testify about the things that she's done in her own practice. Matheson is asking McDonald to delay any vaccinations until she can conduct genetic testing to see if her daughter is predisposed to adverse reactions to vaccines. The hearing is scheduled to resume next month. This is, you know, this is nuts. This right here again is the mind frame of the very individual who, who basically ran point against Jennifer Crumbly. 
This was also, I might add, and this is a bit of a, a gossipy kind of thing, but again, it shows her lack of character and just her overall evil nature. In the actual Crumbly trial itself, there were numerous moments where the defense attorney, Shannon Smith, was openly stating that Heather McDonald could not be reached by Shannon Smith before the Crumblies turned themselves in, even though the Crumblies were going to turn themselves in. The reason that I mention this is that when Heather McDonald was running for prosecutor of Oakland County in 2020, Shannon Smith was one of her donors and one of her supporters. So again, the two individuals facing off in the Crumbly trial, one of them, Shannon Smith defending Jennifer Crumbly and the other and Heather McDonald prosecuting her, they basically used to support one another for the most part, or at the very least, McDonald was using Shannon Smith for her support as if to say, hey, look, even a defense attorney in our county or in the neighboring counties is supporting me, so you should too. They, of course, thought that they knew each other, or Shannon Smith thought that Heather McDonald was somebody that you could reach out to and have something reasonable happen. Well, joke's on her, because what they needed to get the prosecution of the Crumbly parents was they needed the fake story of them running. They needed the whole fake story, which was completely fabricated and brought out in court as being, and during the trial, as being a complete fabrication that they weren't running. They were staying at a friend's art studio away from a hotel where they had registered because they thought that their safety was in danger from the general public. And they were waiting there and communicating with Shannon Smith on when they were going to turn themselves in. And the evening that the door was breached in their friend's art studio where the Crumblies were sleeping, they were going to turn themselves in the very next day. Because again, it had, it had been known and widely discussed, certainly throughout the public, that there were search warrants out for them and search warrants out for their arrest and, and that they were actually being charged with something. Whether again, it be involuntary manslaughter or a connection to it in one way or another. In fact, again, it was Shannon Smith who openly stated in court that she called Heather McDonald to tell her, don't worry, my clients are going to be turning themselves in. They're going to turn themselves in tomorrow. But Heather McDonald never picked up the phone. Why didn't she pick up the phone? She didn't pick up the phone because she didn't want to be contacted by Shannon Smith, who was a clear defense attorney, and she knew it, and was most certainly defending at least Jennifer Crumbly, if not both of the parents, including James. Because with no contact, she would have, quote-unquote, no knowledge that they were going to turn themselves in which perpetuated, again, the fake story of them running. So this is, this is who she is. That's the whole point. She's a schemer. She's a meddler. She is about as dirty as they come. Okay, education news. And wow, I got to tell you, you talk about three-letter agencies. They're involved in this too. As you've heard me say time and time again, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to keep saying it certainly throughout this year and any year after. The American education system is a national security threat to the United States. Not only the individuals who work there, but of course the children who attend, the parents who are affiliated with it, etc., etc. 
This never made the news, and this was tossed my way by our Michigan business friend, who wants to remain anonymous for the meantime. But one of their friends has a child who attends this particular charter school, and here was what they sent. Their friend sent them the following message. They said, OMFG, boys went on a two-hour lockdown this morning. I knew it was serious. Here's what happened. Girl hung herself in the locker room in gym. A kid witnessed it in action, went into a panic attack, which sent the kid into a seizure. Other kids kept telling gym teacher, girl is killing herself. Teacher blew them off. Girl was dead for two minutes, but teacher was able to do CPR, bring her to life. The kid with seizure is okay, but ambulance had to help in hospital, now but okay. Then had two fake fights and one real fight as kids were scared, shitless, on lockdown, unquote. This particular school was Canton Preparatory High School, which is located at 46610 Cherry Hill Road in Canton, Michigan. It has a student population of 448 students between grades 7 through 12. So it's a 7 through 12, basically charter high school, so to speak. And they have a 23 to 1 student to teacher ratio. So that happened on Friday. Here was a message that went out from the actual school itself. February 9th, 2024. It said, Dear Canton Preparatory High High School Families, it says, I'm writing to share that emergency personnel were on campus today to assist a student who was experiencing a medical emergency. While privacy rights prevent me from sharing specific details, what I can share is that the student is okay. We credit the quick thinking of those involved in alerting the proper authorities to medical help so medical help rather could be provided. At no time was our school community in danger. However, your student may have witnessed the situation. We spoke with students immediately after the incident to let them know that they had an outlet to share their concerns and feelings. We also canceled senior basketball night that was scheduled to occur this evening as well as after-school activities today. Please stay tuned for details regarding rescheduling these events. We will continue to provide opportunities for students to access support resources. Uh, there will be social workers and grief counselors available at Canton Prep next week. We will make arrangements for your child to talk with someone as needed. I also encourage you to have a conversation with your student. Their reaction to stress may be different than, and then it gets cut off. Do you see the way that this school covers this up? And then, of course, what really gets reported from the students who are actually witnessing this. A student is killing themselves by hanging themselves in the locker room attached to a gymnasium. A person witnesses this, a student witnesses it, panics, goes into a seizure. And then when this is all brought to a teacher who is nearby, or the gym teacher will assume who is nearby, as it says here, the gym teacher immediately blew it off and didn't believe them. What does this sound like? 
Does this sound anything like the blowing off of a serious incident regarding a school shooting? Like in the Crumbly case? He won't hurt anybody. He might be a harm to himself, but he's not going to hurt anybody else. You see, when school employees are approached by students screaming and yelling, saying that something is happening, their first approach is, apparently at least in this case, their first approach is to not believe them. Whatever, that's not happening. Get back in line and keep doing your jumping jacks. Remember, in the Crumbly incident and in the murder of those four students, the only female employee who possessed a gun was there as a security guard. And when the lockdown went into effect, she didn't even take it seriously. She didn't even think that there was a lockdown. She thought that there was just a drill. She thought the whole thing was a drill, so much so that she walked up to one of the individuals who was dead on the ground and looked at them in front of another staff member who was the, who was the vice principal of the building and actually said, wow, that's really convincing makeup. And then the vice principal looked back at her and said, it's not makeup, this isn't a drill. Again, this is the mind frame of the people who work within these environments. But again, it brings up the question too, why did this not make the national news? Why didn't this even make the local news? Seems like a rather big deal. Why was the student trying to kill themselves in the locker room? A lot of questions here. A lot of things going on. There was also this story out of Ohio. Again, remarkably strange, and this has feds written all over it too. This is Channel 6 ABC Action News, specifically out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. But again, this is an Ohio, an Ohio high school here. It's titled He's a Hero, Teen Credited with Helping Thwart School Shooting at His Ohio High School. Investigators say that classmate allegedly planned to kill eight students and a teacher. This is out of Cincinnati. The Ohio student is being hailed as a hero for helping thwart a school shooting allegedly plotted by his classmate at, an, at a high school in Ohio. The teen's dad says despite threats of his son's life, his 15-year-old son did the right thing. It says, quote, what was more important than his life was protecting his classmates, and I could not be more proud of him. He's a hero for what he did, said Zach Swallen, the father of the teen who reported the threat. Swallen says that his son, Boom, wasted no time earlier this week when he told him that a classmate had revealed a plan to shoot people at Marymount High School near Cincinnati. Says the swift action was definitely warranted, and I'm grateful that my son reached out, Swallen said. Investigators say that the classmate allegedly planned to kill eight students and a teacher. Quote, it was an obvious threat. There is no doubt that this was going to occur, says Melissa Powers, the Hamilton County prosecutor. Authorities say text messages reveal that the would be shooter was conspiring with an adult who was out of state in Colorado, as it turns out. The teen suspect allegedly texted, I need them dead really soon. The adult allegedly responded, I got you, bro. Police say the teen responded, can you do tomorrow? Quote, unquote, question mark. Swallen says that his son saw the teen's plan on paper and told him Tuesday. The next day, the teen was arrested and is now accused of conspiring to commit aggravated murder. Swallen said that the suspect had threatened Boom he told anyone about the plan, 
but that didn't stop Boom from doing the right thing. He literally told me he didn't care if he got killed just as long as he was able to protect his classmates, Swallon said. Officials say that the adult who was texting with the suspect was texting from a Colorado area code. They wouldn't say if that person had been arrested. As for the accused teen, the prosecutor is asking for him to be tried as an adult. Unquote. Okay. This bring, I'm going to speculate like crazy here. This brings into, into account something that has to be brought up. And frankly, I'm not sure how much speculation it is, other than it being beyond plausible that such a thing could occur. First of all, when it comes to sting operations involving, for example, sexual predators, your average citizen can entice anybody online who is looking to have sex with a child and get them to show up at a particular location under the assumption that they're actually going to be doing something with this particular child and then to only be arrested. Feds can do the exact same thing. Federal agents actually do the exact same thing. They get online, they try to entice individuals in order to meet up with a minor at a specified location, and then the feds surround them and arrest them, and there you have it. That kind of a thing happens all of the time. Now, given the fact that that happens, one of the avenues that is very hard for people to imagine is that a three-letter agency or a federal agent could do the exact same thing with a school-age student, either through text message or through social media, reach out to these individuals and start asking them a series of questions and see how far the conversation goes. They could ask them questions like, do you like your school or do you hate it like I used to hate it when I went there? Are there students or, or staff members in that building that you don't get along with? Would you ever like to get back at them? And then they just see where the conversation goes. Federal agents do this, ladies and gentlemen. They do this with school-age students, teenagers, you name it. It's their own way of brainwashing individuals in an attempt to get them to do something in a school environment that's going to lead to the deaths of one or more people, or certainly injure a great deal. This is another reason why these environments are a national security threat, because they're easily infiltrated through the technology that exists in the palms of the hands of the children who go there. And federal agents, again, can monitor these social media outlets and contact these minors anytime that they want and convince them to do whatever they want, whenever they want. Again, through a series of questioning or coercion or, you know, proper questions or statements at the right time, et cetera, et cetera. But again, when was the last time you heard of something so absurd as this? That an area code from, uh, from the state of Colorado was communicating with a high school student in Cincinnati, Ohio. Again, promising to do something. Promising to hurt people within the building as a citizen of Colorado, or again, the citizen in Colorado, so to speak, if they're not a federal agent, is trying to convince the high school student to do something to their peers. I mean, th this is, it's so uncommon that it has to be a federally operated thing. No doubt about it. Again, people have to understand that these three-letter agencies don't like us. They always try to disrupt. They, they make people disappear all of the time. They kill people all of the time. 
They don't always prosecute the bad guys. They go after the good guys all of the time. The Biden administration is openly using the feds to go after more and more J6ers, so much so that they're doing whatever they can to confiscate their bank records to see if these individuals were spending money in or around Washington, D.C. on January 6th of 2021, and then arrest them that way, just because they were there spending money. This is what the feds do. But make no mistake again, they are infiltrating all of these schools, all of these school districts in these major counties. I mean, again, Hamilton County is Cincinnati, Ohio. A lot of school districts in Hamilton County. A lot of ways to make national attention. A lot of ways to disrupt the politics of that particular area, too. And this is one of them. Again, it's just another reason to pull your children out of these environments because you don't know who their peers are talking with. Their peers could be talking with a complete stranger. They could be talking with someone like this who may or may not be a federal agent, promising to do something or promising to intervene or at the very least morally support a high school student taking the lives of their fellow peers. These are not safe environments. These people cannot keep these places safe, the people who work within, because they can't think on a multidimensional level about scenarios and situations like the one that I just described. They can't do it. These individuals trust law enforcement. They trust government. They trust three-letter agencies, the people who work within. It's beyond pathetic, and they're setting themselves up to be destroyed because they already have. The entire COVID lie you would think would be more than enough, but apparently not. They still haven't figured that one out yet either. Okay, speaking of school-related lies, check this out. This has to do with Uvalde, and there's a piece of audio I want to play with this because it really is embarrassing. Frontline, again, two months ago, put out this particular documentary titled Inside the Uvalde Response. Now, Frontline, of course, being affiliated with PBS is massive evil propaganda. Pretty much always has been. Uh, I'm guilty of watching basically every documentary from Frontline and from PBS back when I was a school teacher. I would watch it constantly. A lot of it had to do with the Middle East. A lot of it had to do with domestic politics here in our country and a thousand other things. But it's not that I necessarily trusted all of it. I certainly didn't. But this particular documentary regarding Uvalde is beyond embarrassing. In fact, eight months ago, they put out their first documentary about Uvalde titled After Uvalde, Guns, Grief, and Texas Politics. Well, now they put out this one because apparently enough people aren't believing this. And it's beyond, again, it's beyond embarrassing. I watched this because I thought to myself, okay, I know it didn't happen. I know no one died. There were no, there were no children that were killed. The entire thing was fake. You've heard me go over it on the show. I went over it numerous times. I even caught the parents that Brandon Elrod guy is, is being one of the horrible acting parents who was lying about the entire situation. He wasn't even crying, for God's sakes. So, he, he, again, found, found uh, a certain section of time to talk to a local reporter who was bouncing around lying about the whole thing, and he, he didn't even shed a tear over the fact that he couldn't find his daughter. Please. 
again, <laughs> the whole thing, the whole thing was so embarrassing. Anyway, regarding this documentary, I'm not sure how I can summarize it other than there's only two sections in the whole 53 minute, 18 second documentary where you actually hear gunfire. There's only two parts of the whole thing where you hear gunfire. You hear gunfire when there are a couple of police officers attempting to get closer to the actual door of those two conjoined classrooms in that hallway in that school. You hear gunfire then, if it wasn't added in after the fact, you know, from, from audio editing and a thousand other things. You also hear it allegedly at the end of the so called confrontation when they breach the door, which was unlocked the entire time, as they say, because again, why would a door be locked when a shooter can just walk his way right into the classroom? So the door was unlocked. I mean, what's the shooter going to do? Look at the teacher that he's about to kill and say, hey, give me your keys so I can lock the door behind me. Again, the, the, none of the story matches up. None of it. It's so fake. It's, it's just beyond evidence. But the door was unlocked, and then they finally get a bunch of guys with shields up to the door. They open the door, and then you hear alleged guns being shot. There's absolutely no bodies in the entire documentary, and there's not a single drop of blood. Not one. I'll get to that in a minute, because the actual audio from the police officers themselves verifies it. There's another embarrassing moment in this documentary, which I'll link in the description below if you're interested, because it really is hilarious. There's a police officer on the outside of the building, and he's got a body cam on, of course. Almost all of them did. The body cam is rolling, and you can hear audio. And the cop is yelling out, there's, gun, there's gunfire, there's gunfire inside, there's shooting going on, there, there, there's gunfire. And yet you hear nothing. You don't hear any gun being shot at all while the cop is yelling that there's gunfire. So why is that the case? Because there was no gunfire. There just wasn't. There's another embarrassing moment, and it had to do with the actual evacuation of some of the students. Now, I'm going to test your recall here, but... You, you may recall the actual security footage from inside of the building in that particular hallway. I'm not talking about the badge cam footage that was on the police officer's chests. I'm talking about the camera that was up in the ceiling in the actual building. You may recall that the so-called shooter entered the doors on the right-hand side of that security footage. So basically, imagine an upside-down letter T. That on both sides of the T, on your right and left, you had doors. And then in the middle of the T was the hallway where the classrooms were at the end of that hallway. You see no footage of the shooter enter. None. They, they apparently just deleted all of that or didn't want to show anybody again. So you don't see any of that. As that allegedly occurred, which I even doubt that it did, even though I've seen the footage, I, I doubt that, uh, that it was the same day, at the very least. It, it could have been edited on a, on, a, you know, on a separate day. But either way, 
there were two classrooms that were next to the side door where the alleged shooter entered. On the badge cam footage of one of the police officers, you see him open the door behind him, which is a classroom door, and he looks in, and you can hear him starting to talk to students. Now, you don't see any of these students, but you hear them, you hear them talking. And then he tells them, along with the teacher, to not follow him out of the door, the exit door, which is right next to him which is right next to the actual classroom, he tells them to break the window and crawl through the window leading to the outside of the building. You wouldn't do this in a situation like that. They know where the alleged shooter is in this fake stage scenario. They know where he is. He's down a far hallway, which is far away from this particular classroom. So why would you have students crawling out of a window outside of a classroom when you could just have them all stand up and follow you right out of an exit door that's no more than 20 feet to your right. It's beyond ridiculous. And what makes that even more ridiculous is he then goes to the adjacent classroom right across the hall, same distance to the exit door. He opens up that door and there's the teacher along with her students inside of that classroom, and he has those students follow him toward the actual exit door that's on the outside, of course, of her classroom that's no more than 20 feet away from her front door of her own classroom. So he does one ridiculous thing with one classroom, and then the adjacent classroom, he does what he's actually supposed to do. Again, it it made absolutely no sense. And you see these students again running out of the building. Now, with all of that aside for a minute and all of that ridiculous stuff, again, the acting in the whole thing was beyond terrible, too. Again, they bring in one of the police officers who was allegedly the husband of, of, one, of the, one of the dead teachers inside of the classroom. Completely ridiculous. Which, by the way, you don't hear any gunfire, like I said, that would necessitate the killings of at least 12-plus students, including two teachers. You don't even hear it. It doesn't even happen. But I want you to listen to this audio because there's periodic moments throughout this documentary where they're allegedly interviewing the police officers who were there. A lot of these guys are terrible actors. Just terrible. And I don't even know if they were all in on it or not. Maybe some of them were in on it and others weren't. But either way, I want you to hear what some of them say. So. Give this particular cop a listen because it's really embarrassing. In fact, he sounds just like me, and he uses almost the exact same words that I've used regarding this entire fake shooting. So here's him in three, two, one. There, I knew there was a possibility because of the school, but I didn't know for sure that there was kids in the Again, it was really quiet, and you know, I know, you know, I mean, I went to middle elementary school you know you have your little like your science class where you walk out or right. eat or at different times of the day and hopefully you know other activities i know it's also like the end of the year so I was like, maybe they're doing something else you know not in their classrooms but that was that was kind of a wishful thinking man that hallway was so quiet after the shots were done you could literally hear yourself breathing you didn't hear any kids you didn't hear any teachers 
nothing. I, and I do remember e- even asking Pete, hey, is is this building clear? Is it just maybe one or two classrooms? And he's like, I, he said, I, I do not know. Because I said, you didn't hear anybody. I don't hear any screaming. And usually I would think, you know, I put myself in a position of being that age. I'd probably be like, oh, yeah, I mean, it's fight or flight. No, America. no screaming, no yelling. And it's almost like, okay, maybe this, maybe this place is empty. Children and teachers are taught to be quiet during an active shooter threat. That is their best defense to stay alive. So what the children and teachers told us and investigators is that they followed that training. So what we found was kind of this incredible contrast. The children and the teachers followed their training, but by following their training and staying quiet, that actually meant that officers thought they weren't there and it took longer for them to help them. I'm cutting in very quickly. First of all, that's the most inconceivable explanation that you could possibly imagine. That's, that's a real back, back door, side door, let's jump through the roof explanation as to what actually occurred. It's beyond embarrassing. The woman that you just heard is also running cover for the Texas Tribune. She's the one who's claiming that she talked with not only police officers, but that she took their statements from other investigations and talked with students and staff as well. And yet, there's no student or staff testimony or audio recording whatsoever in this entire documentary. So what's the actual logical explanation? The more logical explanation is no one was in that hallway at all. And if any recording took place or any surveillance footage of actual people being there, it was probably on a separate day at a completely separate time. Again, beyond embarrassing. You heard the cop too. It was like no one was in the hallway. I mean, we didn't, we didn't hear anybody. We didn't hear any move, anybody moving. We didn't hear anything, which contradicts what the police officer heard when he opened up the door next to the exit door and told those students to climb out of the of the window he openly says in the documentary th- there there was audio playing in in the in the classroom they were watching a movie when he told them to climb out of the window because there was because there was a shooter in the building so they were they were playing a movie to quote unquote calm people down and yet you have another police officer say that they didn't hear a single sound. So which is it? Because if you're walking next to a classroom and there's a movie playing in that classroom, you can hear it. Doesn't matter how quiet the hallway is, you can still hear a movie being played inside of a classroom. <laughs> it's just, it's very embarrassing. I have more equally embarrassing audio here. Give this a listen in three, two, one. After the burst of gunfire from rooms 111 and 112, Sergeant Coronado tries to let other first responders know what is going on. So I'm like trying to get on my radio and there's no radio connection inside the, the building. So I'm like, and I know there's more guys coming. So I run back outside and I start getting on the radio. I start trying to give uh, directions as where, where to get everyone posted up. Stay right there, guys! Be contained in this office! 
Okay, guys, he's on inside this building. We have him contained. An officer says the subject is contained. Coronado announces it over the radio. We believe he's uh, barricaded in one of the uh, one of the offices. I messed up. They're still shooting. Contained and barricaded. What those two words convey to the other officers who are arriving at the scene is that the gunman likely is inside a room alone without any victims. And so what that does is set up a response where they're treating it like a barricaded subject rather than an active threat where they should try getting to that one immediately. Sergeant Coronado's announcement is the first on the radio that we could find that calls us barricaded. But many officers, in fact, nearly all of the ones that we went through, said not only that once they heard that announcement, they treated it as a barricaded suspect, but also when they arrived at the school, they continued treating it that way, despite mounting indicators that this was not the case. At what point did they say, okay, stop, barricaded subject, not active shooter? Because that's, that's big, right? Mm -hmm. Well, to be honest with you, like I said, I mean, I mean, I don't know where that came out of. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. You're just reacting to what you're dealing with at that yeah. moment in time. There's yeah. no distinct, there's no distinct determination. Like, okay, well, now it's a barricaded subject. Um, I mean, when when you have someone locked in a room and there's no rounds going off, and you don't know. I mean, like I said, I mean. You don't see any bodies. You don't see any blood. You don't see anybody yelling, screaming for help. Those are motivators for you to say, hey, get going, move. But if you don't have that, then slow down. So in your mind, it was a barricade subject? Yes, barricade subject. John, I'm asking you, in your yes. mind, right? In my mind, yes, because uh, we didn't hear any more shots. As soon as we got it was just complete silence. This guy's probably just a guy that wrecked out his vehicle. They don't want to get caught by police because he's a smuggler with a gun and has and is, has now barricaded himself inside of a classroom and is shooting rounds to get himself his back. Okay. I, I don't know. There's no kids yet. And at the point that the shot stopped, I think it, it was more like you would treat like a barricaded person because you don't know what he has. Are they hostages? Are they... You know, the last thing we thought was that he had actually shot the kids. We thought he had shot up in the air, broken the line, so we had no idea. Right. But was behind those doors. I'm going to stop it there. Beyond embarrassing. No bodies, no blood, no screaming, no nothing. The other thing they don't do, which again is why this is completely fake and a total setup and complete evil propaganda, is at no point do they discuss how many times the gun went off? They don't do that. Why don't they do that? Because if somebody asked that question, it would have to match up with the number of bullet holes inside of bodies and the number of bullet holes inside of the walls or on the walls or on the door or out of the window. But they can't do that. Because none of that matches up. On the actual audio recording, 
like I said earlier, you only hear two times when there's shooting going on. Two. One, when that one police officer got too close to the door and was allegedly shot at, allegedly, and then runs away. And he, you actually see it in the documentary. He goes, am I hit? Am I hit? I don't know if I'm hit. Am I, am I bleeding? And he's not. And then the next time, when they have all of these fatigued, shield-carrying guys walking toward the door, and then you start to hear gunfire. A lot of it. So, what is it then? I mean, who, who got killed? And the answer is nobody, because nobody was in there. The whole thing was a staged recording. It's that simple. Now, much like Sandy Hook, you may recall, in the Sandy Hook case, those parents and those participants all got about a quarter of a million dollar payout off the books. A lot of their mortgages were paid off, too. Remember the GoFundMe pages for the kids and the parents involved in the Uvalde fake shooting? Those totals hit a quarter of a million to half a million dollars apiece. And it was different from kid to kid. That seems rather strange. They also revisit another aspect of this fake story, which had to do with one of the now deceased, I'm using huge finger quotes, children inside of that classroom actually using a cell phone to dial 911 to tell people that the shooter was still in the classroom. Yes, that's right, because a shooter who wanted to kill people would allow a child to dial 911 with a cell phone. And if, a and if a child was using a cell phone in the classroom, how would you not be able to hear that if you're the so-called shooter and you've already shot up everybody? It's the worst script in the history of scripts. It really is. It's beyond terrible. But I, I'm bringing this up again to remind people about the evils of government and the evils of these school buildings and what they are capable of. Again, if it was really an active school building, then you had a number of participants, if not all of them, go along with this lie. Again, whether that was for a free mortgage, whether that was for a quarter of a million or more payout, whatever it was, money talks and money also keeps people's mouths shut. And they were all in on it, all of them. And it had to be even just enough of them. Nobody lost their job. Nobody got fired. The chief of police in the town was the only person who, again, was basically hung out to dry. And that was all scripted, too, because there has to be a fall person for a fake, you know, for a fake shooting like this. And that was it. But the, the excuses and the explanations that they bring up in this very dramatized documentary are beyond embarrassing. It's, it's just awful. So again, I'll link it in the description below if you want to watch it yourself. You may catch even way more things than I caught. I caught a ton of stuff, but more than I want to bring up here for this particular episode. But either way, God, it's just awful. I mean, the acting was so bad. Again, the cop who, who claimed that his wife was one of the school teachers who was dead. I mean, he, did, he wasn't even crying. He was trying to make his way through some of the cops, and they were like, get back, get back, Larry, or whatever his name was. They were like, get back, it's okay, man, it's all right, they're, they're, you know, they're doing whatever they can. If that was really your wife inside of a classroom where a real shooting was taking place, 
would you really be sitting back doing nothing? I mean, it's just, it's so pathetic. But God, people, they just fall for this stuff all the time. It's amazing. This is, the, again, the evil nature of government and these school buildings. National security threat. Keep that in mind. Absolutely awful. All right. That brings me to this. Local school board meeting took place last week. The Talawanda City School Board in Butler County, Ohio. And just to remind everybody and refresh everybody's memory on this, this is where the new incoming school board member defeated an incumbent who was a full-blown communist. So the incoming school board member who is certainly there to ask a lot of questions and doing a very good job of it, her name is Dawn King, and she's kicking ass and doing and just doing a great job. She's voting no on all the things she needs to vote no on, even when she's the only no vote. So let me get into a couple of issues that got brought up here, because one of them, oddly enough, had to do with emergency procedures in a alleged school shooting, or if one were to take place. First of all, however, I do have to mention this. In the public comments section, you may recall that I played the audio of their last board meeting where a student came up with a Bible, and he's the head of a Christian, a Christian club inside of the high school, and he's a senior. And, uh, and he was basically shooed away by the president of the school board and was told that you know he can't, he can't speak because it's a non-denomination school and blah, blah, blah. Well, he showed back up. He showed back up to the school board, and he gave his full speech without interruption. He ripped off Bible verses, and he did the whole thing, and it was great. And he was basically lecturing the entire school board for just being the degenerates that they are. That the business of the, of the Bible doesn't have to do just with youth, that it has to do with all people, regardless of the positions that they hold, including adults. I mean, it was fantastic. So bravo to him for going back, because again, the first time, his constitutional rights were violated. So. It's almost like somebody got to the board member and got to the board president and said, you don't get to violate his rights. He's allowed to speak and talk about whatever he wants to talk about. So he did, which was awesome. Okay. Then it got into, again, the board agenda and the different items that they wanted to break down. And again, this is always interesting because this is where Don King is really making a name for herself. In all of these meetings, in basically any school board across the United States, what they'll do is, is with their agenda items, they'll lump them all together. Instead of separating them all out and talking about all of them to the public, they just lump them all together. They'll say, well, we have agenda item A through J. And so we just want to vote on those really quickly to approve items A through J. And then they say, any questions before the vote? And this is where Don King always asks questions when no one else does. You also have to understand the business. The education business, as corrupt as it is, is a business that does not like people who ask questions. It hates it. Can't stand it. It's always been this way. Certainly since, of course, the 20th century, but most certainly now. They hate individuals who ask questions. So here was the first question she asked. She said, actually, I do have a question. And then she, she brought up a number of specific items. The first one had to do with the amount of money that the school district spends on lawyer fees. 
and I loved how she brought this up. She said, so it says here in the agenda that the school district spends anywhere between $25,000 and $50,000 a year for lawyer fees. She said, given the fact that we're involved in a federal lawsuit, do we believe that the $50,000 limit is going to be enough? I thought that was hilarious and a perfect way of putting it because it was like twisting the knife. It was as if saying, don't, you know, don't let anyone forget that we're involved in a federal lawsuit because of everyone's actions on this board. Not mine, of course, because I wasn't there yet, but because of that whole business middle school teacher groping a female student and getting away with it. And then all of them, of course, attempting to cover it up and a thousand other things. This is, this is the ongoing lawsuit from that parent that these individuals are wrapped up in. And I just loved it. And then, of course, the treasurer was like, yes, we think that the $50,000 limit won't even be hit and it shouldn't be a problem and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh, okay. And then they moved on to another issue, which again, you have to keep in mind the wasteful spending of these school districts and how most of them are going insolvent. What they decided to do was, is the, a particular item popped up that had to do with replacing and purchasing a brand new 168-inch projector screen that would cost $32,660-some-odd dollars, which just for reference point is more than enough to be a salary for a paraprofessional. Which, by the way, this school district is having a hard time with the intake of illegals. And as you heard me say, of course, here, they're having a big problem with this. And all schools are having a problem with this. They're bringing in illegals who can't speak a lick of English. They're Chinese students, they're Mexicans, they're Middle Eastern, they're from everywhere. And now, this particular high school has a great deal of those. But instead of hiring two part-time aides who are bilingual or multilingual and trying to find these people and pay them $15,000 apiece for maybe part of the day, they're more concerned with replacing a projector screen that sits in the cafeteria for presentations or professional development. So Don King asked the question, she says, gee, this seems really expensive. Are we sure that this is the cheapest one that we can find? Isn't there another way that we can do this? Is this really the appropriate time to be spending this amount of money on something like this that hasn't been working and hasn't been used since 2018? All logical questions, but that's not the environment. The environment is not a logical environment. So what was the answer? They just went into a full-blown panic. Well, I, I, well, it's, it's, it's this, and, it, and it's this, and it's this. And then she said, well, where's the money coming from? Treasurer chimes in and says, at least 95 or 98% of it is coming directly from the district's budget. That it's not coming from some grant, and it's not coming from some outside donation. Nope, it's district money. So they ended up going around the horn on that vote, and she voted no, and everybody else voted yes. Good for her. You got, you got to stand alone on these issues. 
and just expose all these dummies for being as stupid as they are. Here was the next one. This had to do with the emergency protocols. In fact, Don King specifically brought this up, and it was really, really embarrassing for the whole school district, specifically the superintendent. She brought up the issue, and she went around the horn with this particular topic. She said there were two elementary schools that were testing a emergency button that exists underneath the front office desk, basically. To where if they're being held up or there's a school shooting, they can hit that button and it alerts the sheriff's department that there is an active shooter or a crime taking place within that, you know, within said building. Much like a bank would have behind, you know, uh, underneath a bank teller's desk. Same kind of, same kind of thing. They apparently test these buttons once a month to see if they work. Well, wouldn't you know it? Two of the three elementary schools tested this button, and it didn't alert the police at all to anything. So much so that the individuals who work within the building who are in charge of touching the button apparently had to call the sheriff's department and say, you need to come here because we just alerted you, and there was no response. So come and take a look at these buttons and see what's going on. Now, Don King was there during this alleged thing, allegedly. But she was there, so she said. And she talked with the sheriff's deputies, who were also there at both locations, and stated that, yes, in fact, the button did not work. As soon as she brought that up, the superintendent flipped out. And he immediately started saying that that wasn't true. So in this situation, who are we to believe? Should we believe a criminal, flamboyant, gayer-than-a-three-dollar-bill football bat superintendent who cares more about covering his own ass than he does telling the truth about anything? Or should we believe a female, brand-new school board member who graduated from the district and has lived in the town her whole life and knows everybody within and has numerous individuals communicating with her directly while she was also at the scene talking with the sheriff's deputies specifically about how the fact that the buttons didn't work and the sheriff's deputies verified the fact that the buttons didn't work. Which one of those sides are we to believe? I think it's pretty clear. Again, it's Occam's razor all over again. The answer lies in the explanation that requires the least amount of assumptions. The superintendent had no facts and immediately shut down the conversation. It was incredible. In fact, the other flamboyant, super gay uh, school board member also attempted to shut down the conversation too because he basically stated that having this conversation about safety protocols not working or not being followed gives people the wrong idea. And this is something that should take place behind closed doors because we don't want people to know that certain things don't work and blah, blah, blah. Again, beyond embarrassing. These people don't even hear themselves talk. Again, this is not a business for questions. They don't like questions. They hate questions. They are always trying to paint the entire business like it's the most ethical and the most morally sound. And yet, the people who sit 
as actual board members tend to be the most degenerate humans within a town. That's why they hold these positions, because they think that it protects them from knowing what they do behind closed doors or even in their own private lives. Trust me when I say this, it doesn't protect them from anything. And there are endless cards that could be played against these school board members in the blink of an eye. And I bet that it's only a matter of time before those cards get played. So I don't want to speak out of school right now, but uh, there's a lot going on. So here was the last vote then. This was the last question that got brought up. It had to do with re-upping certified licensure positions, specifically having to do with a couple of administrators and uh, the HR director. And Dawn King, again, asked a very logical question. She said, why is it that we haven't discussed the fact that for all of these individuals whose contracts are now up, that we are deciding to re-up their contracts, why isn't that we, that we haven't had a single discussion involving the cost of their insurance, both medical and dental, and how the district is paying 100% of their medical and dental insurance, and vision insurance, I'm sure, too. Again, it doesn't matter how much they make or how little they make. They should be paying for their own insurance, certainly for a great deal of it, but not the case in this school district. And the explanation that the superintendent brought up was, well, these administrators are in the bottom third of the administrators in the entire county that, that make what they make. So their salaries are not as high as others, and that's why we pay 100% of their medical and 100% of their other insurance. Absolutely ridiculous. That's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. Again, more wasteful spending, and they're still going to ask for a levy. That won't pass. I love it. They can keep digging themselves all the holes they want. Every move they make, they're finished, and they have no idea. Okay. One last education story here, and then I've got a really long jab story. Uh, first of all, this is jab-related too. Just quick headline, Epoch Times. Harvard University renews COVID-19 vaccine mandate, joining 69 other schools. That's right, 69 other schools around the country still have required the shots for all of their participants to attend, and Harvard University has rejoined the list. So just to review, they get rid of a black lesbian radical as president of the university to then only be replaced, well, accusing her of being an anti-Semite, to only be replaced by a Jewish criminal corrupt interim president and now president or they've hired someone else beyond the interim president. Either way, the new guy's Jewish. They bring him in, and now all of a sudden, the death jab is back on the table for everybody to take, or else you can't attend. Ladies and gentlemen, Harvard University is the worst place you can go to school in the world. <laughs> there's, there's, no other, there's no other way to put it. I'm shocked that any human is sending their children to these environments. I mean, again, imagine, imagine the interview process. If you graduate, let alone survive 
attending Harvard University. Yes, you know, just focus on my resume. Don't focus on the fact that I have four eyes growing out of my forehead and uh, I've had one of my legs amputated while the other one is riddled with blood clots from nanoparticle technology. And yes, part of me glows in the dark and that's completely normal. But trust me, I graduated from Harvard and that's the only thing that matters. Seriously, it's a death camp. It's an absolute death camp. The Holocaust was fake, but this is very real. If you go to Harvard, you get AIDS. You take the shots, you end up sick, you have AIDS. That's what you get for attending Harvard University, let alone those other 69 universities. You've got to be joking. I can't, uh, I mean, I can believe it. These people are, are destroying themselves. They're so locked into their hubris that they have no idea that less people are attending those, those campuses because they're dead. Because they're sick and they're dead. They, they, don't, they don't know this. Or they, again, they do and they don't care. Either way, beyond awful. But there you go. Meet the new boss, same as the old boss. Doesn't really matter. Equally, equally as terrible, all the way around. Okay, here's a jab story for you. A long one. Now, I briefly brought this up a long time ago, but there's been a bunch of updates to this. So, let me revisit a contributor to the show. This is, again, our Michigan business friend, and she's specifically talking about her own mother-in-law and how her mother-in-law is multiple jabbed and has quite literally lost her mind. Full-blown dementia and a thousand other things, of course, not awake to what's really going on and now is being taken care of by her sister-in-law, the Michigan business friend's sister-in-law. So one of her daughters is taking, taking care of her. Here's the, uh, here's the text thread. So settle in, because wow, what a story. She said the following, quote, Dude, oh my effing G. Remember how I told you my sister-in-law mother got jabbed, boosted, then literally went insane? Normal one day, extreme Alzheimer's the next. Plus, my sister-in-law installed cameras inside her mom's apartment and discovered her mom was leaving a dozen times between midnight and 3 a.m. And when she showed mom the footage, mom denied it. Then mom accused the maintenance man of raping her. Cops came and arrested mom. Instead of booking her into jail, they booked her into the loony bin, where they blocked her sister-in-law, or her, si or her daughter, rather, from seeing her. Well, there's more. The daughter who was taking care of her finally got her out of the mental home last night, and they were refusing to release her. She drove her from the from the mental home to her back to her own house, the the daughter's house. Mom started having a stroke. Her daughter then rushed her to the ER, and she had a brain bleed, just like the insurance agent's sister. That's a separate story. She continued and said, "I don't have all of the details because the daughter can't talk right now, but she got some paperwork from the mental home, or maybe her lawyer got it. No clue." She somehow obtained papers that show that her mother was refused food and water for four days straight and given a toxic combo of pharma injections. 
Here's the plot twist. The new hospital where mom is at is blaming the mental home for all of the issues. Meanwhile, nobody is looking at the two vaccines and four boosters that they took. So they are also killing people in mental homes, not just the ER. I said, this is massive. This is just one person in one place, too. This has to be going on everywhere. They said, yes. So think about this. ER, senior living facilities, and mental institutions. Now think about this. The people they didn't slaughter during the first wave are now losing their minds from these injections. They are, they are then sent to these exact places that all are designed to kill them. But not only are they killing them, they're crushing their families with medical and legal debt. The senior homes all within one hour drive of the daughter jacked, jacked their rates up due to a lack of staff, quote unquote. One month was $5,000. Now it's $7,000. In a mental home, they, were, they are all short-staffed. In the mental home, they're all short-staffed. They are so short-staffed that there's only two nurses total, so the patients all had cameras installed in their rooms last night. Now they all are monitored by one guy in a surveillance room. She continued and said, update on her sister-in-law's mother, which of course would be her mother-in-law, I believe. Uh, she had another stroke. But the doctor is saying that it was a mini-stroke, quote-unquote. Unfortunately, she can no longer use the left side of her body. They're going to see if it comes back to normal, but the doctor says if it doesn't come back in two weeks, it's time for the daughter to start look, looking into physical rehabilitation for the mother. A bunch of dollar signs. No kidding. It is a money pit. They continued. They said at the moment she is out of the mental home and in a new emergency room. Emergency room did all kinds of stuff to save her because she was on death's door from the refusal of the food and the water in the mental home. The ER told the daughter just now that the mother finally ate on her own two animal crackers and drank a few sips of orange juice. Again, they finally stated this is going to be a huge money pit and a massive money pit rather, just like the insurance agent's sister from the PCR test. Again, the insurance agent's sister, you may recall that particular story, that had to do with a woman who was not jabbed, but in order to, uh, to enter a hospital to visit a family member, they had to receive uh, the fake PCR nose swab test. It got crammed into the back of her face and then caused a brain bleed, and then she ended up having her face cut open in order to stop the bleeding. And she's been basically surrounded in medical debt ever since, if not just loads of pain and a thousand other things. What an absolute nightmare. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to wrap it up with this. This is a document I now have on my website under the Medical Documents tab of AmericanEducationFM.com. It's a short document. It's only about, I'd say, eight pages long. And this is from 1884, and it is titled, Vaccination, a Reply to the Question, Is Vaccination Scientific? by George S. Gibbs, Fellow of the Statistical Society. I'm not going to read the full eight pages for you. You can bounce over there and check out the free PDF yourself, but I will read the last paragraph, which is the conclusion. It says, quote, We conclude, then, 
that vaccination is not scientific, that it cannot be accurately defined, that it is completely useless for its assumed purpose, that fortification of the body by disease is a mischievous myth, and that the sooner the practice is discontinued, the better it will be for the health of the community, unquote. Well said. Again, it is a damning eight-page document. Again, it dives into the entire hoax of vaccination, how it doesn't prevent anything. It makes people more sick, more susceptible to illness. And the simple fact that you need the entire fairy tale to actually sell poison to people as being some kind of a medicine is beyond ridiculous. Again, 1884, they were openly stating that vaccination has no place in anything ever. So, want to make that document available to you again? It is under the Medical Documents tab of my website. With that said, everybody, have a good one. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you on Wednesday. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.